What's up, guys? This is Dave Duenas, and you're listening to Leave It In The Ring Network. Be sure you go to our YouTube, subscribe, hit the like button, and hit that notification bell so you're alerted when we bring up new content on the YouTube channel. Right now, you're about to tune in to Fish Sonatos with Evan Rukowski. Enjoy. Fisgianados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, fight. It is Wednesday, August 12th, and this is the Fisgianados podcast on the Leave It in the Ring radio network. I'm your host, Evan Rutkowski, former HBO sports marketing executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing, on your screen and behind the scenes. Email me at fistinados at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistinadospod. We are brought to you by Ring Magazine and ringtv.com. All right, let's go to the review section. We finally have real weekend boxing to review. It feels pretty good. Let's start out with Saturday, August 1st, where we had two cards earlier in the day on DAZN. They ran a Sky broadcast of the matchroom cards coming from Eddie Hearn's backyard. Ted Cheeseman pulls out a unanimous decision against Sam Eggington in a fun fight. Not super high level, but really fun. Kind of went the way most people thought it would in terms of ring action as for everything else. Uh, I just give credit for anyone doing a show right now, as I did in the month of you know June and July for Top Rank. I Look, everybody gets a pass on sort of the the first time you come back, especially if you're trying anything new, and everyone's trying something new right now. So let's go through it. Uh, Also on Saturday, August 1st from Mohegan Sun Bubble, and on Showtime, who made their post-COVID entry into the boxing world, we had Angela Leo beating Tremaine Williams by wide unanimous decision. Also in the card, Reese Aline beat Marcus Bates by stoppage in round 10. And then Joe George beats... Marco, uh, Marcus Escudero by KO9 despite trailing on two of the three scorecards. The show average is 150,000 viewers, peaking at 209K. Or at least that was for the main event. The other bouts were in the 130 range. The show did not crack the top 150 cable shows of the day, though it faced stiff competition from the NBA's return, including a Lakers game. Uh, it went up directly against the Lakers game on ESPN. Let's first just talk about Showtime coming back and the broadcast. I thought this was a very good card before Stephen Fulton tested positive for COVID. Uh, one of the things we saw about how PBC is doing this overall and their comeback overall, and, and uh, they've talked about it publicly. I mean, check out my guy Kurt Emloff's interview with Tim Smith. On his, in one of his most recent, I think it's his most recent episode to come out. You know, PBC has fighters on hold who they're paying to train. This is a really smart plan on their part. Uh, we saw this contingency plan needed literally for their first fight back. Quite frankly, I think 
while we still got a decent overall card, it did affect the quality of what we were watching because, you know, instead of seeing Fulton versus Leo, we saw Leo versus Williams. And then instead of seeing Williams versus Aline, we saw Aline versus Bates. And on the surface, doesn't sound like you're affected your viewing experience all that much, but I think the ripple effects here did have negative impact in more ways than you think. And I mean, let's, again, like, let's be clear. This is sort of the first high-level night of fights. Um, I think you can kind of put the last top-ranked card at the Summer Series in that category of, like, yeah, okay, we're finally seeing some high-level fights all the way through. Like, the Valdez was a pretty clear favorite, and Berlingo was a massive favorite. But, you know, th- that was fun TV. And, I mean, even shuffling the card here, Showtime still put together a night of fights that was way more evenly matched but, you know, there wasn't a fighter as high as profile as Valdez. Looking at the broadcast overall, um, we saw some of the same things that were a little, probably a little bit frustrating from the summer series for top rank. It took three hours, 21 minutes, um, which even for triple header and COVID, and we have to wipe everything down and everything. It's a lot. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but this was an issue pre-pandemic for everyone. It continues to be an issue during the pandemic, literally for every single network. The Fox card also went over three hours. Uh, back to the Showtime card, though. The co-feature, had it been Williams versus Aline, that would have been really competitive, in my opinion, um, and in the opinion of most journalists and odds makers. The positive COVID test essentially took the highest profile fight off the card, which Fulton, you know, with Fulton, which... You know, who's, to be fair, still graduating to the highest level from being a prospect. But, like, you know, the top-ranked summer series started with Shakur, and Fulton isn't on Shakur's level in terms of accomplishment, but this was a much closer fight than the fight Shakur took. So, bottom line here, a positive test took what was, you know, if, if you had put it as a main event, even last year for Showtime, smallish main event, but overall pretty good card. Uh, well-matched top to bottom. And it took away the A-side, and so then, in addition to it even being a little bit smaller and a little bit less competitive, Leo went from being a relatively small underdog to a bigger yet still relatively small favorite. Um, And, you know, but obviously in practice, took Leo about two rounds to figure Williams out, and then the main event was, you know, fun to watch but not that competitive. The co-main wasn't really, you know, it went from being a really competitive co-main with Williams versus Aline to wasn't, you know, wasn't one that was all that competitive. Uh, And the opening of that was really fun to watch. But all in all, we went from a card that was going to be like a, you know, maybe a B plus in terms of how competitive it was. And it turned it down a notch to a B or B minus. That's what a COVID positive test do. I say all this not to even criticize Showtime because let's be clear. This is by far the best fight card, you know, (laughs) we're going to see from anyone in their return to boxing top to bottom. I just say this to point out that COVID is a bitch and it's going to affect boxing cards. And even when you have a great contingency plan like Showtime did, uh, they learned their lesson from top rank this summer. Showtime had an amazing COVID plan. Cards still got affected. All right. On Friday, August 7th from the UK, we had another Discern Hearn backyard card. Terry Harper fighting Natasha Jones. Even though Harper was a pretty big favorite, they fought to a competitive draw. Finally, Saturday, August 8th, we had the return of PBC on Fox where Jamal James beats Thomas Dulorme by unanimous decision in the main event. Um, It was a very 
it was a pretty good fight to watch. Also on the card, David Morrell beats Lennox Allen by relatively wide unanimous decision. The broadcast does an average of 885,000 viewers. It peaks at just over 1.2 million, and the main event on its own did average over a million viewers. I won't go as deep on this one. Um, you know, personally, I didn't love the background addition of fans, so I go back and forth on the crowd noise. In some instances, I really do like being able to hear the sounds of the fight in that intense manner, that like kind of the way you heard it on Showtime. Um, I also did find moments where the crowd noise, like I just felt it really comforting, like almost like a pre-COVID environment. I mean, then obviously you'd see the fake crowd and you get brought right back into here we are in COVID. But as far as the fights go here, uh, credit PBC for making one of the few evenly matched main events of the summer. Um, if you do want to poke holes in it, it was made pre-COVID, obviously. Uh <laughs> Not many competitive fights are being made post-COVID, at least that aren't on pay-per-view. Um, and it wasn't really that high profile of a Fox main event, at least in the pre-COVID world of Fox main events. Obviously, in the post-COVID world of Fox main events, I'll take a fight like this any day of the week over the next three main events, which we're about to see, which include a really high-profile fighter just fighting in a complete mismatch. But more on that later. Purely talking about viewership number here, this is not great. Nothing has been great since the pandemic. I'm going to talk about this in the deep dive. So for the deep dive this episode, I was going to do a look at the upcoming boxing schedule and kind of just go over what I think are some of the more important moments in the fall. But it's been a crazy last couple days, and not everyone had as robust of a schedule rollout as Showtime did uh, for that. And, you know, for a couple other reasons, like a lot of what's happening in college football in the world, like, yeah, we're... I'm just going to do an episode on kind of like where we are right now and why viewership isn't as great as it was. Uh, and what are some of these factors? You know, what is the outlook of boxing? I'll kind of incorporate the overall schedule into it too for, you know, from a little bit, maybe a higher level, but let's just go in. I mean, look, a lot of this is quite frankly, really depressing ratings that we're seeing for boxing right now. I mean, Let's just start by saying sports in general have come back, and the comeback itself is pretty impressive. No matter what strategy any sport has pursued, it's impressive just to see everyone getting back. And obviously not everyone is back, because when you look at college sports, they are not back. But if you've watched a lot of different sports, you've seen different approaches to the actual viewing experience. With crowd noise, like I, did, you know, like I talked about above, fake people in the stands, pictures of real people in the stands... Sometimes, even within the PPC universe, Showtime is doing it differently than Fox. Uh, everyone's taking a different approach. You know, but let's set aside the actual production right now. I think the bigger issue here is that while sports are back, TV viewers on the whole, uh, they're not back. Or at least not in the numbers that any network execs would have hoped. So let's take a look at the broader TV world first, and then we'll go into boxing. Uh if you went on the website Sportico, Anthony Krupe, an excellent writer on the topic of TV ratings, he did a great piece recently looking at some of these trends for Sportico. Some of these numbers are staggering in how bad they are for traditional TV networks. Since the summer began in May, overall TV usage is off 8% year over year. Broadcast TV with the big four networks down 19% year over year. 
take that in for a second. The big four are doing even worse in the demos that matter most to advertisers. So when you look at ad dollars, it's even worse than that. When you start to just look at sports, baseball started out really well out of the gate, but has declined quite a bit since then. If you just look at Fox's MLB this year, total viewers are down 12% from last year, 2.4 million per show versus 2.12 million per show. The good news is that you know, even that is doing much better on Fox than any other programming they have on. So that's still basically the best they got right now. NHL is doing much better, but most of that is on NBC Sports Channel, and it's essentially flat compared to last year. Basketball games on ESPN and Turner are averaging about 1.5 million viewers, which is down from last year, you know, a, a bit, a little bit tougher to quantify, though. I mean, they're, they're both cable stations, but it's a little bit tougher to quantify. Kruppi doesn't cover UFC or WWE. If you've been paying attention, though, the ratings the UFC gotten, for the most part, have been pretty strong. They have had a couple stinkers. Uh, pay-per-view, got, pay-per-view buys for the UFC have gone even higher during the pandemic. Uh, and while a few shows, like I said, have, have underperformed, most of their shows are not far off from where they were pre-COVID. Golf, too, has been up and down, but in general has retained its fan base. WWE has been way down, and I think there's... May I shouldn't say way down. It's been down significantly. And and there is a pretty strong argument to make there, though, that fans are a really important part of the WWE TV experience. And I think if you watched any of these shows, you would understand that. I give all this context because boxing ratings have generally been terrible since the pandemic started. You know, I've mentioned this lots on the podcast, but the trends were happening, you know, trends that are happening or that were happening before the pandemic started have only been exacerbated by the pandemic. Boxing ratings were kind of like slowly but steadily declining. Here and there you get a good one. Just as a macro trend. And this is pretty much across each network. Boxing TV ratings are also massively influenced by some of these overall trends that are happening in the larger TV world and the world of sports. So let's first take a look at what some of the reasons are for these declines overall. And then let's take a look at what's happening in the upcoming schedule, like in boxing, and is there, if there's any hope to get out of this rut. You know, I think I'm probably stating the obvious here, but the main reason for me that all sports are down in ratings is that coming out of the pandemic, TV viewership shifted a crazy amount, and there hasn't been a significant event yet that has pushed back on this shift. Like, there really hasn't been, like even a one-off to do that. I mean, here's what I mean. Like, yes, WWE, UFC, boxing, they've all continued in some way, shape, or form. And obviously, WWE and UFC, I mean, they didn't even really miss a beat in terms of actual production. Boxing took its time coming back, um, but it still came back before most other sports. But with the other sports, it's not like they've come back to the playoffs or anything like that. Basketball is just about to hit there. NHL is hitting there, um, hitting there right now. But they didn't come back directly to that. And they took a long time to come back before they even really started playing games. So it's not like the best is playing the best. You know, the UFC with the Masvidal pay-per-view, that's really the only one. And, and, I mean, their brand, their product has basically been indistinguishable from what it was pre-pandemic. You have to give them just so much credit for that. Um same guys are fighting in main events that were fighting before the pandemic. 
It's the same close fights up and down the card. Yeah, one or two fights may fall out from COVID, but, you know, for the most part, same exact product. No one else has come back with that, basically. Um, Even in the NBA, like, the first round of the playoffs doesn't see a huge uptick in ratings, comparatively speaking. I'm not a big hockey fan, but, you know, those ratings have gone up a little bit. Uh, We saw the weird MLS tournament. Those ratings weren't great, but... You know, it at least was a professional return. Um, but, you know, NBA and NHL, much of the season was already compete, uh, completed. So, you know, the fans, like the games that are happening right now, they're, they're important. Playoffs should deliver ratings, but they're, they're not there yet. We're not quite at playoffs yet. I mean, in terms of network TV, NHL isn't going to have a huge impact on ratings until the finals. But the ratings for NBC Sports Channel are a big deal. Like, they're relatively big numbers, and they help justify those monthly fees that the channel get. You know, the NBC Sportsnet gets from the cable companies. But we haven't, we haven't had a World Series or NBA Finals. And how does boxing play into this? Well, the biggest issue for me is that big-time boxing events have ceased. And it's almost shown, like, no sign of coming back. Like, good boxing has existed, that you've had to be really choosy to find it thus far. We're, we're just on the brink of starting to see some great boxing. We're, like, still a month away from the first pay-per-view. But good boxing, and even that, that's not really pay-per-view stars yet. It's a lot of first-time pay-per-view uh, fighters. But good boxing doesn't involve stars. I mean, it's generally looked at as solid matchups with really good fighters, but there hasn't been a pay-per-view-worthy fighter come back that would draw attention on kind of his own merit. And casual audiences, they're not flipping through the channels anymore because viewing habits have changed. So just because boxing is on doesn't mean that people are even thinking of going to watch it. I mean, that much is pretty clear. My overall point here is like, okay, so good boxing... Is that Showtime show? That's good boxing. But you need to know it's on as a fan, and then you need to go find it. There hasn't been that tentpole event like the Masvidal fight where the casual audiences are made aware of that, yes, the sport is still going on. This is a big event. Tune in. It reminds you that it's still doing other fights, too. There's this crazy thing called Fight Island. And, yes, you are finding it. You're watching it. But that tentpole event has yet to – I mean, look – just the NFL week one is a tentpole event for network TV. That might just remind people, oh, yeah, I have to watch Fox. Because if you look at the ratings, they're not being reminded of it. Even it's like I compare the PBC rating to other places. I mean, like the ABC Nightly News is really the only thing that's even remotely close to what it was pre-pandemic. The NHL game on NBC is like 1.2 million people. It's not great in terms of average. You know, the other stuff, yeah, it's a little bit more. You know, there's some reruns. I mean, some of the reruns beat both the hockey and boxing. It's like, ugh. But let's end reason number one. Let's just say there hasn't been a tentpole event to remind casual audiences to go back to the traditional cable TV model. Reason number two is related to that. Let's call it sports are fighting a huge battle with streaming service services and fighting for their lives. 
in terms of how they will be distributed. I mean, this is kind of, I touched on this above, but unless you're a major sports fan and you're eagerly anticipating the return of several sports, like you have potentially either reduced or eliminated your satellite and cable bill. And you may not be coming back for a while, if at all. And if you reduced it, we're also in the summer where traditionally there are less viewers of TV, HUD levels are down. Quite frankly, like if you're working from home with kids at home, you probably aren't watching TV during the day because you aren't used to working from home and you're not used to your kids being there while you're working. And there really isn't anything on TV anyways right now besides cable news. And now we're just starting to see sports. But like I said, not big time sports. And the networks aren't making new series right now. So there really isn't a reason to turn on your TV and just flip through the channels. There's nothing on. So bottom line here, viewing habits have changed, even for those who have kept cable. And look, if you're, start, if you're like new to streaming services, there are lots of, lots of seasons to, of, of shows to catch up on. Eventually, though, you'll run out of content. You'll want to switch back. But some people might not. And that sucks for a sport like boxing, which doesn't do its temporal events on free TV and is on one free network, one cable network, one pay cable network, and two sports-only streaming services. So it's incredibly decentralized and it's hard to keep up with, as opposed to something like UFC, which is just on ESPN and ESPN+, or NFL, which is just on free TV and then ESPN, or NBA, which is on two cable networks. Much easier. If you're looking at a third reason why boxing ratings are down, and this is actually the one boxing can control itself, or at least have some control over, which is the schedule we're about to see. Like, the one place that I think has done this pretty well, especially in COVID, is Showtime. Like, they clearly worked with the PBC. They had an incredible rollout of their, of their schedule. That clearly didn't affect the first TV rating, obviously, but I think it did serve as a notice to boxing fans you know, now is the time to resubscribe if your subscription lapsed or boxing is back. And like I said, I said this last episode, but the Showtime schedule is just built for COVID. Look, it's not, it's not built for non-COVID. It's built for COVID. It's building for COVID, though, presents some other problems. Um... But overall, it's like a lot of evenly matched fights, but just without many tentpole fighters. And I think there's a few running themes here. I mean, one is outside of many of Showtime's undercard fights and some of their main events. There just aren't a ton of fights that are closely matched across the board. And this is something with everyone's schedule right here. And I've talked about this last, you know, a lot on the podcast. This was kind of kind of to be expected. Showtime doesn't have any other sports. They got their shit together. They announced a pretty solid schedule. Like, if you look at it, David Benavidez and Nonito Donaire are probably the best overall names. Which, if you think about it, pre-COVID isn't really that exciting. But then when you look at just the strength of so many of the undercard fights and how closely matched they are, and even some of the main events without big names, but how closely matched they are, that's that's really good. That's a good job. But also, the downside is star fighters do bring ratings, and that's not that many star fighters. 
you know, that's not that many events where someone who's not a hardcore fan is like, oh, so-and-so's fighting. That's my favorite fighter. I'm planning my day around this. But having as much depth as Showtime has on the card means you can take a couple COVID hits and it's going to be okay. People will trust that you still have quality on. You know, when you look at their pay-per-views, and this is something I spoke about with Coppinger and Pugmire on their podcast earlier in the week. I mean, I wouldn't set the expectations super high, especially for the Charlo card. I think Tank is ready. I think he's a big star. I think he is ready. You know, and none of the TV, regular TV shows scream like, oh my God, there's going to be a rating bonanza here. But there's a lot of depth. And it's so far... Having a lot of depth, it compares really favorably to what everybody else has put out. I mean, let's talk about DAZN here before we get to Fox and ESPN. DAZN has not released much of the schedule. I give them a lot of credit for that Hearn show in August with White and Pavetkin and then Taylor Pursoon. And give them a lot of credit for making Linares Fortuna. I mean, that was a great matchup. I'd much rather see that be delayed and have any kind of replacement come in. And it sounds like Garcia Campbell is going to get made. But the rest is really frustrating. I mean, obviously, as consumers, we want to see another version of fight season. And we want to see Canelo in a good fight. And DAZN should be delivering something like that. And look, I think some of the issues, Coppinger wrote a good article about this. DAZN is working through fighter pay. They're not going to overpay for fights that aren't delivering subscribers anymore. And that's fine. As a consumer, though, I don't really care that you're trying to do get better value for the dollar and and you're you're delaying fights getting made before that. I just want to watch good fights. I mean, I'll take a little bit of a pause if you're going to put that pressure on Matchroom and Golden Boy to deliver better fights, and I hope that's what we're going to be seeing. And I really want to see Canelo in a competitive fight. Triple G, I couldn't be less excited about Triple G's opponent. So there's got to be something coming in. I mean, you know, the Gar- Garcia Campbell's good, but that's not like, you know, that shouldn't be one of your tentpole events. <laughs> it's good. It's a good fight. It's a good fight. And I think Ryan Garcia could be a star. And this could be a star-making performance. We'll learn a lot. And that's a good fight. You know, but as we'll get to in a second, like Fox and ESPN, like they have different issues. And clearly the Canelo fight is going to move, but we'll see Canelo. And Canelo, look, if it is going to be Callum Smith, that's a decent fight. When you compare it to Fox and ESPN, it's a different set of circumstances. And I hope DAZN does make good fights. But let's put them aside for right now because they haven't announced that much. When you look at Fox, I mean, Fox in particular has some comical mismatches, like farcical mismatches in main events. And nothing particular on the network stands out, at least in terms of non-pay-per-view fights. Look, in pay-per-view, I mean, Spence Garcia, that's really intriguing. Like, that might be one of the more intriguing matchups of the fall, if not the most intriguing matchup of the fall. I mean, I think that and Lomachenko-Lopez. Probably just in terms of pure matchups, I'd put Tank Leo right after that. But in terms of pure matchups, 
Those are the three that really make a difference. But if we're talking about Lara and Porter and who they're fighting, like I've watched a lot of boxing and I had to look up those those opponents. I did not know those opponents. And they haven't even publicly announced some of the FS1 fights that are happening in August. And I mean, like, I don't know what they're depending on for core fan base, but like, you know, the August 22nd, I mean, there's three fight cards that day. And the matchroom card with White fighting Povetkin and Taylor Pursun and the ESPN one with Alvarez Smith, I mean, those are just better matchups. And, you know, Sean Porter is probably a bigger star than anybody fighting on the ESPN card. Maybe not internationally compared to White and Povetkin, but he, you know, Sean Porter is a big star. It's just, I mean, how long is that fight going to last? Is it going to be even competitive at all if it goes rounds? And let's talk about ESPN. Because besides those two cards, which are both pretty good fight cards in August, I mean, we haven't seen a ton, ton yet. It's As I'm recording, it's being announced that Lomachenko and Lopez are going to fight on the network. So bravo to that. I hope we can fill some really good stuff around that. But part of the issue here, and look, even before I even get to the issue, which you guys know what it is, it's college football. If you want to poke holes in a lot of these cards, I mean, this is the same hole you can poke in the PPC matchup. It was made pre-COVID. Ramirez Postal is a really good card. It was made pre-COVID. You know, Alvarez Smith, it's a really good fight. And that's like an undercard on an HBO fight back in the day. And it's good to hear that that's not a cornerstone, that Lomachenko-Lopez should be a cornerstone. That's a great fight, especially if it's not on pay-per-view. But the big, you know, clearly the big issue here affecting all sides is college football. I mean, as we sit here and record this podcast, college football is having an existential crisis that may result in seismic shifts and changes in how the system works. And going back to one of the points I've talked about during the pandemic, college football can go through this, and it won't affect anything that Showtime or DAZN does. ESPN, though, is the biggest owner of college football rights and generates a staggering amount of revenue from ad sales of college football games. Fox, too. Not quite on ESPN's level, but Fox, Fox's future is already set as of now because Big Ten's not going to be playing. Pac-10's not going to be playing. You know, those are conferences that Fox has a big contracts with, especially the Big Ten. ESPN deal, has a lot of deals with a lot of conferences, but it definitely has an, you know, an SEC package and it has an ACC package. You know, these conferences still seem to plan on playing, but needless to say, that can change at any moment. I mean, there are pros and cons in terms of what it means for boxing and specifically top-ranking PBC. I think the hope here is that it's mostly good. That's taking a very positive spin on this. The hope here is that if stuff like Lomachenko-Lopez can go from pay-per-view to now a regular ESPN card and they'll foot the bill because they need viewership numbers up because they don't have college football, you'd think that's good. You know, remember, too, the ratings for boxing, they count on other tentpole events for promotion. 
And if those tentpole events are gone, the ratings for boxing may not be great. With Fox 2, I mean, look, if the PB strategy was to get the stinker fights out of the way in August for Fox and then really deliver for Fox with some of the better product in the fall, I mean, that'd be amazing. Especially since now there's that huge hole in Saturdays for Fox. You know, but the uncertainty at both networks is causing a lot of issues. It affects money. It affects dates. It affects quality of those fights that we want to see. It affects whether they can be made. And at a certain point, you just can't wait anymore. You just have to go. And usually that means you go with a mediocre product. And I don't want to get down too much, you know, into a rabbit hole here. But here's the other part. Like, if I'm an exec at Fox or ESPN, my first call isn't going to be, hey, can we throw a few million extra bucks at Spence Garcia or Lomachenko Lopez to get it on the network rather than pay-per-view to help us out with the state? Like, my first call is like, hey, NFL, can you go Saturdays and Sundays? Hey, SEC football, if you're really going to go, can we get games Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? Maybe even Wednesday, too? And this is assuming that football teams can even pull off sports in COVID without a bubble. Because the bigger issue might even be, hey, can we even count on the NFL to come back? Because this goes back to the other issue I mentioned. TV viewing habits have changed dramatically. And if you're any sport, you almost need the NFL and the World Series and the NBA Finals to come back. Just to remind that huge chunk of America, like, oh, yeah, you don't just have to go straight to your streaming services for entertainment. There's definitely a large group of people that haven't watched network or cable TV since March or April. And going back to boxing, I'm not sure whether college football helps or hurts boxing. I talked about it a little bit. Yeah, maybe it helps. It helps a lot if Lomachenko Lopez goes off pay-per-view. I mean, sure, you don't want to put your best fights up against LSU Alabama. But you also need these bigger TV products to, pr- to promote boxing, like I mentioned. If the NFL can't come back this fall and there's no World Series or Big Ten football, how is Fox going to promote Spence Garcia, either on the network or on pay-per-view? I mean, sure, by that point, PBC Boxing is legitimately one of the best programs they have. But, like, Lara Vendetta is not getting you any extra viewers. And it's the same deal with ESPN. I mean, Fox may be more reliant on the NFL since it's Thursdays and Sundays for them, but ESPN is so tied into college football. And there's so many games that the SEC and ACC package delivers. I mean, turning Lomachenko-Lopez from a pay-per-view onto regular ESPN is a nice solve for one of those games, but you need like three games a weekend to get solved to even come close to replacing ad revenue. Does it create opportunities for boxing? Yes. But boxing also needs to deliver on those. And without all these other programs to draw eyeballs to ESPN or Fox, boxing might be set up to fail. I mean, it's like no, no one was going to ESPN during the summer. Why even check ESPN out? There's no sports on. Even casual sports fans weren't even aware that there were no sports, you know, that boxing was on. It just makes it harder. It puts a lot more pressure on boxing to deliver. 
this is a multifaceted problem. I mean, we've seen a lot of low TV ratings for boxing since the pandemic started. There isn't one specific reason for it. Part of it is due to boxing not putting on great fights since the pandemic started. There's been a lot of fights, not a lot of great fights. Many of the fights we've seen have been mismatches. Some of that is the fighters and promoters don't want to take risks because we're in a freaking pandemic. But some of it is positive COVID tests and difficult training circumstances that have been more likely to cause injuries. And that's because we're in a pandemic. Part of that is fights that were good and COVID affected even the best laid plans. Part of it is star fighters have wanted to wait until they can capitalize on live gates, so they haven't been willing to take, which for them is more of a pay cut than it is for other fighters. And yes, stars draw ratings, but stars also need to be in quality matchups to draw better ratings. And COVID has affected opponents for stars. It's not a coincidence that Danny Garcia had a really amazing rating when he fought Keith Thurman on CBS and then a really bad rating when he fought Adrian Granados on Fox. Opponents matter. And right now, the only way we're seeing stars fight each other is on pay-per-view, minus that ESPN show. And that's understandable. It won't help any of these promoters when their TV contract is up. Or it won't help them much. But parties' bad ratings is also due to larger systemic issues that don't have anything to do with boxing. The hope, like I said, is that tentpole events like the NFL, the NBA Finals, some college football, the World Series, heck, maybe even the presidential election, if it all happens as scheduled, those are tentpole events and they'll bring audiences back into the fold and remind them that there are other programs on the networks you know, that they watch that are still good. But there's no guarantees. I mean, the NBA Finals, it sounds like the bubble's working, so that's going to get there. Who knows if baseball and football can get there? I mean, who knows? But TV viewing habits have changed. And if they don't bounce back, then those will continue to affect TV ratings for boxing. What's the best outcome here for boxing? It needs the NFL and these other temple events to come back and draw viewers back. And then it needs to change the, the viewer habits the old-fashioned way. And then it needs to be able to convince some, you know, to do something that the UFC has been able to do, make good competitive fights and have the product look as close as possible to what it was pre-pandemic. We're not there yet. And I think that's okay for right now. For right now, boxing is clearly going to be a valuable asset for ESPN and Fox as they deal with what's going on in college football. But there's pressure on it to deliver now, too. Yeah, it can fill the gaps. But it's got to fill the revenue gaps, too. you gotta, you got to make it work for you. And let's hope that as we recover from the pandemic, we can get some really good fights. I mean, some of that has happened, but not enough. You know, there are good fights coming up, but it says a lot to most, you know, most of the good stuff we've seen is either coming from the U.K. right now, or it was made pre-pandemic, or it's just, you know, it's going to be a pay-per-view fight. Let's hope DAZN is playing tough with Matchroom and Golden Boy is making sure that when it rolls out globally, it does so with quality fights. All right. On to the preview section. On Saturday, August 15th, we have a busy day of boxing. Across the pond, I believe it's on ESPN+, Plus, but it seems to change 
you know, quite a bit. I don't, I don't blame the promoters for this. I mean, this is networks not knowing what to do. Carl Frampton, Michael Conlon are fighting. They're not fighting each other. Frampton is fighting Vahram Vardanyan. Conlon's fighting Sofia Takush. They are both huge favorites, like 50, 101. Well, I think one book had Frampton as a 201 favorite or something like that. Okay, let's go to Showtime. From the Mohegan Bubble, also on Saturday, August 15th, David Benavidez versus Romer Alexis Angulo for Benavidez's super middleweight title. Also on the card, Rolando Romero is fighting Jackson Marinez for a vacant WBA interim lightweight title. Otto Valin is fighting Travis Kaufman at heavyweight. Benavidez, like a 10-to-1 favorite. Romero, about a 5-to-1 favorite. No odds yet, yet on the heavyweight fight. Also the same day, from... Tulsa, Oklahoma, and on to zone. Cecilia Breku is fighting Jess McCaskill for Breku's WBC, WBA, WBO, and IBF welterweight titles. Also on the card is Real Madrima fighting Eric Walker at junior middleweight. Chakram Gyasa fighting Francisco Rojo. Breku's is about a 6 1 favorite. Madrima 75 1. Gyasa about 50 1. Moving on to Saturday, August 22nd, another day with a lot of boxing. Um, much better matchups on some than, you know, in some instances than the week before. Across the pond in Eddie Hearns, I think it's his final show of his backyard matchups. Dillian White fighting Alexander Povetkin for White's WBC interim heavyweight title. Katie Taylor fighting Delphine Pursuant for Taylor's belts. This is a rematch of obviously something that was really closely uh, contested. It went to Taylor. Taylor's about a three or four to one favorite. White is about a three to one favorite. On ESPN Plus later in the day, we have Elider Alvarez fighting Joe Smith Jr. at late heavyweight. Also on the card, Rob Brandt against Vitaly Kopalinko at middleweight. No odds out on that yet. Same day on Fox, Sean Porter fighting Sebastian Formelia in WBC IBF welterweight eliminator. Also, Sebastian Fundora fighting Nathaniel Gillimore. All right, that does it for this week. I will be back two weeks from now with more to talk about. Hopefully it's not depressing. Hopefully it's not depressing. (laughs) All right. Talk to you in two weeks. Did you get what you was looking for?